This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Thursday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the 29th day of July. It is the day after free agency open up at the NHL. And I think there's a few general managers that are still wiping the beads of sweat from their eyebrows and their forehead. And man, we'll get into that in just a second. But uh, it is so it is so interesting just to read the social media hate that goes on with certain teams and the social media elation that goes with other markets when it comes to the acquisitions and the contracts that they were able to shed when it comes to GMs and organizations and this crazy salary cap. You know, I was having a conversation with my kids the other day and we were talking about the fact that when I look at players, I still look at them as second line guys, third line guys, and dare we say the top line. They just look at them as dollar figures. And I don't want to be the old guy like, oh, I remember back in the day. But I honestly do remember back in the day when I didn't worry about the money or the salary caps. I knew that the Rangers were going to overspend. I knew that the big market teams were going to go big. And that was half the excitement of being from a smaller market that actually didn't have to worry about that. You just took on the Titans from New York and Detroit and Chicago. And I don't know. Just the fact that they look at a player and immediately they look at his AAV they look at his Corsi, which I mean, I guess is okay. I'm not worried about the analytic of the player himself, but the dollar figure is what really got me. Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks made a lot of moves. Before we get to Jimbo, before we get to the Vancouver Canucks and some of the things going on in the National Hockey League and abroad, let me get you to that one story. Oh, oh, before we get to the lead, before we get to the lead, which I've now just given away, that's what's coming up in a few seconds. Uh, we have a very special guest that's going to join me in about five, six minutes' time. Her name is Dr. Charlene Orr. And if you've been following the Olympic Games, there is no better guest to have on this show today than Charlene for the simple fact that you think of Simone Biles, you think of what Naomi Osaka has gone through over the last couple of weeks, maybe even months now. And yeah, mental health is at the forefront of the Olympic Games and just the world of sports overall. She is one of the most renowned mental performance consultants on planet Earth. And she is right here in our own backyard. So we're going to have an opportunity to talk with Dr. Charlene Orr just minutes from now. She's going to get into the psyche of these athletes. What has it been like trying to deal with COVID while trying to prepare for the Olympic Games? I know. I, I sit back and I say to myself, I didn't even think about that until all of a sudden you see certain situations. And you're like, oh, that's right. It probably has been tough. It probably hasn't been the easiest for these athletes to train and mentally get ready for the biggest moment of their life, or at least in the last several years. So uh, Dr. Orr will break that down for us, but let us now. Now we can get to it. Let us get you to that one story. That one story that reigns supreme. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. Okay, so if you're a Vancouver Canuck fan, you're still probably looking at all the transactions over the last couple of days thinking, well, what do we have here? But before we get into the analytic of what this team is, 
let's look at some of the long storylines that we have followed over the last couple of seasons that finally, over the last couple of days, have exited stage left. Now, the easy one is Alex Edler testing free agency and makes his way down to Los Angeles where he will likely, if not certainly, score his 100th NHL goal. We tried to get it for him up here, but he was stuck on 99 and he will definitely do that down in La La Land. So, Alex Edler, the last piece of the 2011 Vancouver Canucks, the team that went to the Stanley Cup Final, there is no more. He was the last piece and he is no longer in the blue and green. But think of all the storylines over the last couple of days that have exited out the door. Jim Benning got rid of some baggage contracts, the Roussels, the Beagles, but the Louis Erickson experience has also finally come to an end. Name another player in Canuck history that has been dragged through the mud more than Louis Erickson. Like, we're talking three straight seasons of Little Things Louie, Press Box Louie, Empty Net Louie, all of the little things, no pun intended, that made him such a storyline and just a whipping boy for the Vancouver Canucks over the past couple of seasons. Remember when we first got him from Boston? Nobody liked the term, nobody liked the AAV, but he was a guy that had a pretty good year that Jim Benning was familiar with, and so we brought him in-house, and you know what? For a couple of nights, he was that guy before he wasn't that guy. So we end the Louis Erickson experience. Sven Berchi, a guy that many of us thought overachieved when he first showed up, that maybe after years in Calgary, we're going to finally break the code and get him to be a top six player, which I thought in his prime he was. But then he wasn't and the injury bug struck, and the concussion bug struck. And unfortunately for Sven, now he's gonna find his way to a different team, and he can't do anything but wish him well. Because Sven Berchi is an NHL player, it just wasn't a fit with Vancouver, which is kinda tongue-in-cheek almost when you think of some of the guys that have made their way into the blue and green over the past year, but again, injuries played key. Now speaking of injuries, Remember when we first signed Michael Furlan? Oh, Brian Burke would have loved it because there would have been a little belligerence and truculence that was going to show up. He was supposed to be that versatile guy that could get you a couple of goals, put up his dukes, and definitely be a force that the Vancouver Canucks had needed so that they weren't just getting pushed around in the division. But concussion symptoms, and he is no longer going to play. He comes out publicly and says that his NHL career is done. So that is another storyline that makes its way out. You think of what happened with Braden Holtby getting bought out, and then you get to Shotgun Jake, the Jake Vertanen experience. Because here was a guy that always showed up out of shape. Here was a guy that always underperformed. Here was a guy that got yelled at from his captain, Bo Horvat, for not skating it out and trying his hardest. And you just always wondered if it was ever going to happen. Well, it might somewhere else, but it is no longer going to happen as a Vancouver Canuck. So just on those storylines alone, it is going to be so intriguing. We haven't even gotten into Nate Schmidt yet. But this is what happened. It was a complete cleansing of all of the beat-down storylines on Jim Benning's watch. They're not all gone. Tyler Myers is still here. I'm not sure what the Pullman experience is going to be. But there are definitely a lot of storylines that finally get out from the shadow of Jim Benning. The question is, are the Vancouver Canucks a better team? Because now that the dust is finally dissipating, we're getting a look at what the Vancouver Canucks are. As of this conversation, still no Elias Pettersson, still no Quinn Hughes, and yes, there's some money allocated for them. The question is, will the offer sheet drop? I don't think it will. I think those guys are coming back to Vancouver. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but think of everything else that finally we can close the book on.
isn't that something that for years we have looked at all of these different storylines and it has been fuel for Canuck Twitter. It has been fuel for all of the journalists. And now it is scattered throughout the NHL and in some cases even retiring. But man, what a ride. <laughs> what a ride from Shotgun Jake to Little Things Louie to Sven Berge's injuries, to Michael Furland's injuries, to the situation with Braden Holtby. Was he going to be good? Was he not going to be? Nate Schmidt. I mean, it is unbelievable how we're going to have to refocus, recalibrate as a fan base and as a media, and try to find these new storylines. And don't you think for a second that we won't find a new whipping boy. It is just a part of the Canucks psyche. Maybe it's Yaroslav Halak who lets one through the five hole from center ice and all of a sudden becomes that guy. Maybe it's Pullman, or maybe it's a guy that's been in-house and all of a sudden realizes that the spotlight is about to turn up on him. When it comes to the mental game, there is nobody who is more in the know than Dr. Charlene Orr. She's a mental performance consultant that is renowned and really respected in her field. I want to introduce you to somebody who is going to explain the challenges that NHL players face, that Olympians face, that everybody faces. Let me get you to today's headliner. The game heads to the break, and just as you get ready to call the waitress over for your next round, the lights go down, the music stops, and the DJ looks around like the power just went out. Suddenly, a spotlight shines to the front of the bar, and the doors open. No way! The headliner has arrived. Dr. Charlene Orr has been supporting athletes and aspiring performers of all ages to achieve personal and performance excellence and has been doing so since 1996. She's a part of the Canadian Sports Institute Pacific with two roles. She's the lead for mental performance and also a senior MPC practitioner for both Olympic and Paralympic athletes, coaches and staff. She knows the Commonwealth Games, she knows the Olympic Games, she's been to three, including 2010 here in Vancouver, the 2014 Winter Olympic Games in Sochi, and the 2016 Summer Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. She got her doctorate in sports and exercise psychology from the University of British Columbia. Let me put it to you this way. When you want a mental performance consultant, you call Dr. Charlene Orr, who joins me right now. Uh, Charlene, I could sit here and read your LinkedIn profile all day, and it would probably take me all day considering all of your accolades, but what made you fall in love with this particular industry? That's a great question, and thank you for asking that. I am so passionate about the field of sports psychology. It is something that I experienced myself as an athlete, um, getting support. And at the time there was just, there wasn't a lot of people who were practicing sports psychology or able to reach out to young athletes and, and give them the tools that they need to shape their mind to maximize their performance. You know, so I felt like I struggled a lot. And when I got to university and I found out about this field called sports psychology, I was really attracted to it. What we do essentially is we try to understand human behavior from the perspective of what the brain can contribute. So we know that the brain talks to the body and the vehicle that we use in sports psychology is the mind. The mind, how does it come up with its thoughts, its emotions, feelings, and then ultimately impulses towards our behavior and how does that impact the way that we perform or act? And so we can come at it from a variety of different spaces and places uh, what's really popular in the media right now, of course, is mental health. 
in a, a sense of well-being and how that impacts performance from other important topics like our motivation, how we manage stress. That's a big part of the Olympics right now too and the privilege of pressure. We talk about team, team dynamics, communication, leadership. We talk about relationships and learning. We talk about what it means to compete and, and how we make sense of ourselves as athletes. Um, and, you know, there's a, also a big contribution when we finish Olympic Games, what happens next if we're ready to retire and go on to another phase of our life and uh, the transition of becoming, devoting so many years and so much energy and, and to our sport. And now, now we're not going to engage in that in the same way. That's the field of sports psychology. And as practitioners in Canada, we're referred to as mental performance consultants. When I was watching the Olympic Games the other night with my wife, we watched a 13-year-old girl from Japan win a gold medal. And I sat back and I looked at her and I said, you know, I wonder if she even realizes what she's just accomplished. Because at 13, I don't know if I would have, but with everything that's gone on with COVID, the preparation that these athletes have had to endure, some of them have been isolated because they haven't been able to train in their regular conveniences. I wonder if that naivete of being youthful and exuberant and not knowing necessarily what's going on around the world was actually a mental advantage for her. Some would say it definitely was, you know, sort of the more um, access we have to abstract thinking and the, the wondering what if and what could be, um, that definitely comes with a more mature mind than a 13 year old would have access to, can become sources of distraction. Often. It's the athlete who can manage their distractions the best that come up on top. And so if the brain isn't allowing us or the mind isn't allowing us to access some of those distractions, it probably is a competitive advantage. I've talked to a couple of different athletes, a couple of different Olympians previously to the Olympic Games, and they talked about the preparation that was two, three years. They were able to access people like yourself this year i i can't even imagine what they've gone through from the mental perspective because not only are they going to japan which is in a state of emergency because of the COVID 19 situation there but their training has been all off and if i know athletes well enough they're all about structure they know where they are at two o'clock at four o'clock at six o'clock this year it's kind of all been put in the washing machine what have you heard when it comes to the challenges mentally some of these athletes have been facing everyone is facing this it, it, the uncertainty is real. And we've learned a lot about how the uncertainty impacts the athletic mindset. You know, it ranges from, we know, unfortunately, that for those who have mental illness and mental problems, COVID has really exacerbated those mental health symptoms. And there's a lot of athletes who are really, really struggling with those symptoms because of the conditions of our environment. This adversity and this uncertainty has provided a real opportunity to work on our resilience skills and our ability to adapt and manage ourselves and self-regulate in the face of uncertainty and pressure. You know, we've had limited opportunities to compete for many of our sports, um, just haven't had access to world-level competition, haven't had access to world-level training facilities. And we've had to learn to adapt, to face those adversities and still manage ourselves to feel as prepared as possible going into these games. And so it's, it's been a real spectrum and a lot of work, a lot of work. And it just uh, really highlights for us just how important the mental game 
is because you can have a very well-tuned, fine physical machine in your body and your skill set. But if the mind is just not available to you, it can actually shut the whole thing down. She is Dr. Charlene Orr, mental performance consultant, joining me here on Sports Bar Radio. Doctor, let me ask you about just the, the phrase emotional management. That can be applied to any facet of life, but let's talk about it from an athletic standpoint in the fact that right now there are so many things pulling us in so many different directions. I can't even imagine, I played sports as a child, I didn't have social media to worry about. In addition to all of the things that are usually pulling at us mentally, now you add that into the equation, how do you manage your emotions as an athlete? Wow, that's a big question. Yes, <laughs> tackle whatever you can. <laughs> emotions are a, big, are, are a big part of fueling our uh, behavior, of course. And so we really, practice having a emotion, I guess an ideal emotional compass. So we know when we're pointing north. For some athletes that's, a ha you know, Kylie Mass just was quoted saying, uh, you know, a successful athlete is a happy athlete. And so in her mind, you know, we can assume that happiness is her compass and she wants her emotions to be managed so that she's facing towards happiness. Other athletes really thrive and love to feel those anxious feelings. Feeling anxious and nervous is where they want their compass to be because they know that there's a sense of readiness if they've got those jitters. Mm -hmm. So how do they do that? They do it through a variety of different techniques. One of the critical ones is of course, viewing any potential threat to achieving the goals that they have, viewing them as rather than sources of threat for them, but sources of opportunity and challenge that you know whatever is being put in front of them they can manage that's really going to set that emotional space more aligned with what it is that they know they perform best under the other really important piece of this is social support and the connection that they have with their coaches and the connection that they have with their teammates Obviously, as family members, that's also an important piece. And you often see many of these athletes right now at the games, really um, appreciating the video feeds that um, are coming in where they can say immediately after their event, hi, mom and dad, thanks for being there and believing in me. And, and that's an important piece of their emotional regulation as well. Doctor, obviously one of the hot topics at the Olympic Games was a U.S. gymnast by the name of Simone Biles, who is a legend in that field, who decided on the eve of one of the biggest performances of her team's life, wasn't ready mentally to take part in that. And she allowed the rest of her team to pick up the slack for her, quote unquote. I look back and I say to myself, you know what, 20 years ago, she might have been called a lot more harsher names than she was this time around, because I think people are finally starting to come around on mental health, for lack of a better phrase. When you look at an athlete in that moment, in that situation, and I'm not sure how privy you are to that particular story, but what would it mean to you as a doctor watching somebody pull out of the biggest moment of their life because they just quote, weren't mentally healthy or ready? I can tell, I can share with you my, my feelings about it right this moment. And sure. I feel empowered. Agreed. I feel excited to know that an athlete is courageous to say out loud, my health matters to me. My health matters over my performance. If I'm going to be successful, I have to get this piece right. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to say those, those words. The reason I brought up the fact that in 2021 is accepted 
is there has been an evolution. You've been at this for a while now. You've watched this evolve over the last 15, 20 years where it used to be the stigma. I mean, I've been around sports for a long time where it used to be bravado and playing through it and all those things that athletes were just expected to do because that's what you do. You got to bruise, rub it. It'll be tomorrow's problem. What do you think was the turning point? Well, I, I mean, I have to say that I, I do believe adversity is okay. Facing adversity is what builds our resilience, our psychological well-being, and that can be a real protective mechanism for our mental health. Shying away from adversity isn't something I would promote and, and have not shied away from. We need challenge in our lives, but we also need to have support. We also need to have, be doing these really, really difficult things that challenge us as individuals, as people, as performers in supportive environments. And so I think that's the part of the game that seems to be elevating and, and changing. And, and we're having some really important social conversations about what it means to support an athlete and to support sports people in general. And mental health is one of those pieces of the conversation as is safe sport, as is the language that we use to describe things. So it's been a real evolution, as you have said, over the, the course of my career. And we're understanding that human performance is very complex and very individual. Appreciating that one's journey is not gonna look the same as another's journey, but that they have autonomy in, in being able to say what is right for that individual. I would say looking around and seeing organizations like the Canadian Sport Institute, places that you're comfortable with and represent and work with have been huge for athletes in a number of different facets. I mean, we always think of athletes or some people think of athletes as these millionaires, as these people that have it all set up and life's the easy road for them. But Olympians, that's another facet of their mental challenge is the fact that they've got to live their life and they've got to find sponsorship and they've got to do this on their own. I mean, it is a, it, it's basically as an Olympian, a small business, is it not? Oh, for sure it is. Yes. <laughs> it's a full-time job. Has there been a, a particular instance where you've seen an athlete and you just say, you know what, if I could ever use, you know, he or she as an example, that's a person that's overcome adversity and everything that I've studied, that person encapsules success. I, I'm actually not comfortable discussing any one that I've particularly worked with, um, but I, I am comfortable in saying that there are many, many athletes who have experienced adversity. In fact, I don't know one that hasn't. Um, whether it's managing being a student and an athlete at the same time, whether it's having finances, whether it's having to move across the country from loved ones so that they can train in the centralized environment that is high performance sport. I know one of the key things that I was concerned about and brought in in terms of programming with the Canadian Sport Institute Pacific is that we help athletes adjust to the lifestyle of being a professional athlete who has entered into the high performance pathway. So what that means is once, you know, once you become a high performance athlete or you commit to that and you have services like Canadian Sport Institute Pacific put around you, all of a sudden your, your time is taken from you because you're going to have a meeting with a dietitian or a nutritionist. You're going to have a meeting with a mental performance consultant. The physiologist is going to be testing you. You're going to have strength and conditioning sessions. 
you're going to meet with a an advisor who will help you with your finances and and set you up with your websites and make sure your brand and your you can speak to media um there's just so many different components and it's more than just doing your sport all of a sudden it's it's managing all of these other aspects and you know a young 15 16 17 year old coming into the program it's quite overwhelming and just kind of like what do you mean i have to do all this work and it's it's uh it takes a little bit of time to adjust and transition um, with all of these various aspects of sports science and sports medicine that's available to them. I really respect the fact that, you know, after me asking you that question, you said, you know what, because that shows the trust that the athletes have both in you as an individual and as your organization, which I think is invaluable. Becoming my best self, what does that mean to you? Becoming the best self means that I know who I am. I aspire to be that person in all areas that I can be that person. I don't succumb to the pressures or I don't doubt that who I am and what I can do is enough. Do you find that kids in this day and age understand that message? I have two children, an 18 year old and a 16 year old. One just graduated from high school. One is going into her final year. And I often question myself if I'm giving them the right message as a parent. I've also been told a number of times that they already know as I tell them the lesson. They're like, yeah, I got that. And I say, where'd you get that? They're like, oh, I learned it in class. But do you <laughs> feel that this generation of kid coming up, perhaps the proverbial teenager, understands what it takes to become their best self? There's some interesting research on this generation that's coming up. And, and what's really unique about this generation is that they're the first generation that have access to these mobile devices. In our hands, quite literally, is the world. And there's lots of vision and a lot of images that show us what it means to show up in this world. And being critical thinkers around what images are factual and those that are a bit false takes some time to do, to learn how to do that. And so I think that there is a lot of misunderstanding. It's not their fault and it's it won't be their fault. It's just, it's part of the process of learning about the patience and the time. Uh, again, because the world is at their fingertips, patience and understanding time is something that they really do struggle with. The other thing that we're also learning um, for this generation is that attentional focus looks different. Yes. Their brains are being wired differently than let's say your eyes brains because of the way that we're exposed to stimuli. You know, back in our day when things were much slower and we didn't have access to these types of devices, we could attend to things. Now we find that our, our youth are really, their attention is divided. And because of that divided attention, they can't fully access all the information they need to really sort of pursue excellence in the same capacity that we did. It doesn't mean that they won't pursue excellence or that they can't do it. It's just their skills are gonna just be at a different place. So from a mental perspective, those are some of the big challenges uh, with this generation that I, I'm coming to understand. It used to be, and I hate to use the old adage used to be, but it was one <laughs> of those things where your retention seemed to be longer. I feel like almost after talking bullet points or tweets or Instagram posts to try and condense everything into 280 characters. But Charlene, when you look at an athlete right now, 
and they're looking at the world as it begins to unfold on them. I know we talk about Olympians, we talk about people at the apex, the top, and then we look at these kids that are graduating high school and they didn't get an opportunity to receive a scholarship because they didn't play in grade 11 or in grade 12. There's a mental challenge right there where all of a sudden that trajectory or the path has changed on them. What mental advice could you give to uh, almost like a two-year window now of athletes that have had their life turned upside down? That was a really tough year. <laughs> really, really tough for the, that cohort. I don't actually know how it's all going to unfold. I, I don't know how it's going to... I only can imagine based on history that some people are going to rise to the top with that kind of adversity and some people are not going to realize the trajectory that they were currently on. It's kind of the way when disruption happens. And, and I think we're seeing some of that unfold actually at the games, to be honest, in terms of upset performances and people rising to the top who wouldn't have given been given that opportunity had things not been disrupted the way that they were. So, you know, for these kids, it's it really has to be about living their best life and sport will be a part of that. And when I say that, it's not done lightly. It's, it's around understanding yourself as more than just a athlete. Um, that you contribute to your communities in such different ways from the way that you hang out with your friends and the appreciation that it will be to be around others or to learn in an actual school, not online on a computer. <laughs> and, um, and the benefits of that, is in addition to getting to practice your sport at a high level, grade 11 to grade 12, you're 16, 17, 18, 19. And a lot of sports, our elite athletes who are at the games are much older than that. So my hope is that these athletes don't lose trust, that they can't make up the time by dedicating themselves to their sport. And in fact, they've probably let their body grow and develop and they can maximize those physical attributes through the way that they believe performance is possible. I knew this was going to live up to the hype. Uh, I was so uh, looking forward to talking with you more than just the fact you're a mental performance consultant, but just your experience and your opportunity to see these storylines. You've worked with people at a number of different Olympic Games, whether they were here in Vancouver, Sochi, wherever um, your experience and your expertise is second to none. Doctor, thank you for making time for me today. Thank you so much. There she is, Dr. Charlene Orr, and uh, I am better for that conversation, and hopefully you are as well. Boy, she's got her finger on the pulse of a lot of things all right let's wrap up this show just a reminder we'll be back here for your friday edition of sports bar radio tomorrow right around 12 noon and my thanks going out to jay swing producer extraordinaire my brother from another and to everybody at equity guru you did it again chris perry thank you for continuing to do so many things for this show behind the scenes my thanks to galen who helped set up this interview my thanks to jp chung and the irreplaceable priscilla Choi. Until I do this with you again on Friday, I'm Rob Faye, and thank you for subscribing, for liking, and reviewing Sports Bar Radio. Let's talk again tomorrow. This segment is brought to you by Arizona Metals, a mineral exploration company working two 100% owned gold, copper, zinc properties in the mining-friendly U.S. state of Arizona. Arizona metal stock has been on a strong upward move recently, doubling over the month of May and continuing upwards in June, and investors earlier in the year are seeing a 400% increase on their money. Their Canadian ticker symbol is AMC. For more information on Arizona metals, 
visit www.equity.guru. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.